2 Corinthians chapter 2, we begin in verse 7 and read through the end of the chapter as we continue our study on the glory of our salvation in contrast to that lesser faded glory of the law. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 7, God's word declares, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For, what, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the same Spirit of the Lord. Let's get into our study this morning. It's uh, one that we're going to hopefully have a good perspective on having established some things last week of the real value of the law. That it needs to be taught, that it needs to be communicated, not for Christians to live by, but for unbelievers to be confronted with. And we're going to find out why the first half of that statement is true, and that's going to be our focus this morning Our focus last week was really on confronting the world with the law so we could confront them with the holiness of God that we might see produced in them this fearfulness, this this conviction, this understanding of uh, how far they are away from the holiness of God, from his standards of heaven, and how steeped in sin and darkness they really are. And we saw that as the drive of that law, that light, that glory uh, that was seen there in Moses, in Israel, uh, and among all those that uh, are called to communicate the holiness of God to their people. We now want to consider the first half of my first statement, that is that the law is not there for us to live by, for we have exceeded it in glory. And this we want to investigate, and I think the picture that Paul's painting here is a wonderful one that we can easily uh, demonstrate this morning, uh, and we want to implement that first 
as we get into the scriptures. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We thank you that we stand in the light. We look forward to being in light as you are, abiding in light, knowing that you are light, that in you there is no darkness at all. And Lord, that while we share in that in our standing and in the power of righteousness that is at work in us, Lord, we look forward to that day when we will walk fully in your light. Lord, we thank you that we are children of the day and not of the night by the power of the grace and mercy, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And Lord, our prayer is that we might live in accordance with that standing, with that righteousness, with that power that you have granted to us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Paul here has taken some effort to communicate the law. And he's going to speak of it, and if we take it, um, our first reaction often to a passage like this, and and similarly in, in Romans and other portions of Scripture, Paul anticipates that people are going to react to his statements as speaking despairingly of the law. But he obviously has spoken of it as a very purposeful entity that was an act of God's grace and mercy to expose men's sin, to expose the inadequacy of man to ever possibly meet the standards of God. But that as an instrument of salvation, it was never intended to be the means for men to get to God. It was rather the means for men to understand that they are separated from God. And therefore, its glory was of limitedness. It was not the full glory. It was a light in a dark place. No doubt about it. But it was a flashlight in a dark place. He now wants to take us from living in the dark with a flashlight as our light source, the law, to understanding what we have crossed into once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are now children of the day. We have in this room some lights that are always on, but you don't see them. We have two lights over the doors right now that are on. And if we turned off the lights, they would be revealed. And they are there to guide you in the dark. They're called exit lights. And one over that door, and that one over that door. That right now doesn't strike you as something lit, does it? They're just there. They're just, it just says exit. It's red on white, and so it's visible. And, and I don't know why I need that to know where a door is. Well, you don't need it when the lights are on. I mean, you can recognize a door in the daylight. You don't need the sign to tell you that's a door. It has panic hardware on it. It's an exit door and gets you out of the building. I guess maybe you'd identify differently than other doors that take you in another part of the building. 
but uh, there it sits. And I say, well, I don't, but the light's on. The lights are on right now. They don't grab your attention, do they? You can look at it and say, maybe it's on. I can't really tell. You see, the exit lights are on for when the lights in the building go off when we sit in darkness. And I've walked in this building quite extensively in the dark. That sounds weird, but um, I do that. I come in and know where certain things are and don't necessarily turn on any lights, or I have to get to the lights to turn them on. Um, and the only light that illuminates the room, other than the, the <laughs> little nightlight stars over here, um, are the exit lights. And I orient myself by them, and they actually are very visible in the dark. This is the glory of the law. It is for those who live in darkness to show them the door. But once you open the door, and if you're in here during the day like today and we turn off the lights, it is dark. There are no windows in here. There's a little bit of light that streams through that double door um, because there's a crack in it there. Um, And you have the exit lights and you have uh, the... um, what are those called? You have the little stars over there that, uh, that glow, 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 there you go, the glow stars. And, but um, it's pretty dark. But as soon as you open a door, you realize this is the sun. I've just gone outside. And now my eyes have to adjust, and now everything is plain. Everything is visible. And this is what Paul talks about, the glory of walking in the work of Jesus Christ. That we have received the the good news of salvation are no longer enraptured by or even uh, led by the light of the law. It is no longer our lead. It is no longer directing us to righteous living anymore. And this is what the power of Christ has done. He has taken us out of the law, completed it, and says now you live above the law. And we use that phrase, you think you're above the law as someone who's lawless. But that's not how I'm using that phrase. It is those who live a kind of righteousness where they are walking in daylight, not by a flashlight in a dark place. And so we are living such lives that the law isn't something we are that concerned about. And so Paul talks about that once the greater glory comes, once that sun comes up, the light of the stars that we see at night are still there. Guess, you know that? That all during the day, the stars still shine. They really do. They're still up there right now, shining. But the light of the sun has eclipsed them in glory. And so you can't see them. They're not directing your path anymore. They can direct your path at night. When you were in the dark... They don't direct your path anymore once the sun comes up. And this is what we have. We are children now of Jesus Christ, of God, through Jesus Christ, joint heirs with him. And so he talks about this wonderful glory that has uh, eclipsed the glory of the law. And it is now not a ministry of condemnation. It is a ministry of righteousness, it says in verse 9, that exceeds much more in glory. 
to such a degree that we talk about ourselves as a New Testament church. People say, no, we teach the whole Bible. And obviously our church does teach the whole Bible and it has value cover to cover, certainly. Why do we describe churches as New Testament churches? Because the glory of the message of the New Testament has so eclipsed that of the Old Testament that it seems to those around us and even to sometimes to us within that the Old Testament really is hardly visible. I'm not worried about the food laws of the Old Testament and the, and the extensiveness there. I'm not really interested in the promises of the Old Testament to Israel and, and its foolishness when we who are of the light go want to go back and emphasize those prayers that are built on the law, prayers that are designed for Israel in the land. And none of that is promised to us. And if that's what you want to settle for, is for abundant harvests and, and for... Uh, paneled houses and and for uh, lots of sheep and 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 your wheat barns being filled up to overflowing. If you want to settle for that, then you don't understand the great greater glory of the New Testament. That that those aren't our promises, and therefore the prayers for those aren't our prayers. Our promises are are manyfold greater than those promises. And so it should reflect in our prayers, just as it should reflect in our lives. And so Paul talks about the greater glory of this ministry of reconciliation, of righteousness. And based upon that, we don't cower away from God, but rather we come to him with, it says, a great boldness of speech, he says in verse 12. Why? Because we have a different hope, he says. We who have this hope can speak forth with great boldness of speech, why? Because we are not groping in the dark with a, with a small little flashlight. We are walking in the day and we can declare boldly, thus it is, for I see it there, plainly. I'm a child of the day. And so Paul does not want to take away from the law, but rather he has said what has come has been so superior to it, excels it to such a degree that at this point <clears throat> the flashlight is on, and if you walk around with a flashlight on during the day, does anyone get excited? Does, it, does, does anyone go, oh, someone's got a flashlight on over there? But if I walk around out here with a flashlight, if I go down to my farm and carry a flashlight, well, my flashlight is, if I carry Julie's flashlight, it's like, <laughs> Those cop flashlights are incredible. I don't know what they put in those, but it's got to be dangerous. Um, and I walk around. I'm out here in the dark where there's no lights. It gets people's attention. They drive by. They're looking. What's that person doing out there with a the flashlight? If I do that during the day, they don't care. It doesn't get their attention. We are of that sort. We have a righteousness that has a glory that's so bright excels the law so much that the law, its light is on, but it doesn't guide us. You're guided to something by something greater, and that's the righteousness of Christ that exceeds the law. And thus Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, who were the most careful keepers 
of the, of the little intricacies of the law, you know, tithing their mint and, and spices. And, and he says, you've got to have greater righteousness than them. And that's why the disciples says, who can be saved? Well, our righteousness that we have been imputed with, that is that we have been uh, counted, does exceed the law that much. By several magnitudes, it exceeds the law to such a degree that the law is not a directive for the Christian life. Rather now, our directive is absolute righteousness, that we be holy as God is holy, that we walk in righteousness, that we obey his commands, and they're not grievous because we are walking confidently and boldly, for it is daylight. But I need to put a parenthesis here in the message. And the parenthesis is this. There is still, even once one has accepted Christ as a Savior, a necessity for the law, unfortunately. Maybe in this day and age, more than others, because of the falling away that we have seen these last 80 years, 100 years. You see, children of the day can still walk into dark places. They can choose to walk out of the daylight and not just into shadow, but into true darkness. When they choose to do that, even in those places, this is where the law is still that which was outside in the daylight, a very dim light. But now that we've chosen to not walk as children of light, but prefer to walk as children of darkness, this is where the law and its original purpose is renewed for us. And so while we are called to be agents of truth, that we value it so highly that any form of deceit should be abhorrent to us. We should hate it. The fact is that it's very easy for Christians in this society to get caught up in a lifestyle of lying. And to confront them, we use the law. Why do you use the law to confront them? Because they have chosen to walk into the cave of sin and to push out the light of Christ's righteousness. And so we go back to that lesser light because it's all their eyes can really handle. And we look at them and say, the Bible says thou shalt not lie. And you are. I say, have we confronted them with loving the truth and, and even deceit, that we do not deceive, that we do not want to lead men astray, that we don't want to tamper with truth? We don't even want to take the edge off of truth. We want 
unadulterated, unmodified, unpolitically correct truth. We love it. Sometimes it hurts and it cuts us deeply and we thank God for it when it does. That's what a child of the light does. They love truth. But when we start living in the cave, (laughs) in the darkness of this world, and we choose to walk out of that light, even during the daylight, we have to come down to a law that says, thou shalt not lie, and confront them with that. Because they they can't see the righteousness of Christ. They're veiled. They have put themselves, like Israel, And Paul says, listen, Israel has a veil over their eyes. They can't see truth. They won't see truth. Just as Moses put a veil, and I I think it's wonderful that Moses didn't even know he was shiny. You ever think about that? Moses come out, and he doesn't even realize that he's shiny. He just is. But he's not shiny to him. It's to everyone else. He can't see it. He's okay with it. Why? Because... It was a fading away glory. He had already been in the presence of the glory of God to to a greater degree than any other man from what we can tell. And he was in there for an extended period of time. He comes out and he doesn't even realize it because already as soon as he walks out of the building, he is in lesser glory than what he was in. But for all those children out there of Israel who are out there who weren't in that day setting, who are still kind of living in the twilight of of darkness. Here comes this man glowing, and they see a reflection of the glory of God that would eventually fade off of Moses until he went back in there again. And it was literally fading away. And brethren, it is a sad condition when people in the church must be confronted with such a lesser light like the law. Because that's all they can handle. And we expect a reaction just like we expect men to react to light in the darkness. How do men react? When they have been living in darkness for an extended period of time, um, how do they react to light? Uh, When you have even a little flashlight that isn't even very bright, and you come up to someone who has been in the dark for an extended period of time, and you turn that on and shine it on them, what is their immediate reaction? They're going to squint their eyes. They're going to shield their eyes from it. They're going to try to block that light out. It is the natural reaction because they've become accustomed to the dark. And they don't want so much light. Can you turn that down a little bit? And they're not reacting to daylight That's their reaction to a lesser light. And this is what Israel was doing. You know, can you just turn that down, that holy stuff? Can you just diminish it a little bit? And God has done that. And the law was just a little light. Because they wouldn't react rightly to his true holiness. It would kill them. And Paul says this is not the way Christians ought to respond because you should be accustomed to the light because you're children of daytime. And therefore, when someone comes with a flashlight, it doesn't even phase you. You don't put up any 
barriers. You say, oh, don't shine that in my eyes. We don't do any of that. Do you ever notice that when you're driving um, and somebody has their lights on, even if their brights are on during the daylight, it doesn't bother you at all? Do you ever notice that? Even if they're riding with their brights on during the day, you just kind of go, oh, they left their lights on, or they, their lights, it doesn't phase you. But if you're driving at night and someone comes at you with those brights on, it's, turn it off. Brethren, when Christians choose not to live in righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to them, such preaching as Paul's becomes empty because he has to go back to the law. And I think this is really the force of Hebrews and other passages that say, listen, you should be eating meat, and instead I have to give you this milk, and, and you should be mature. Instead you have to be fed like a baby, and you should be walking in the daylight and accustomed to the brightness of God. But instead you are in the shadows, and even worse, you are, you are living in the caves of the world, and, and so you can't even comprehend the brightness of God because you squint when you're confronted with the law, the lesser light. And so we still need the law. But when we have to boil it down to running to the law to, to show Christians that they're not living godly lives, that is a testament to just how far they have gotten from walking as children of light. But it still works. It still guides men out of the darkness that they might reach the door, open it, and be confronted with day. The Bible says that once we receive Christ as our Savior, any kind of veil, any kind of barrier, any kind of attempt to diminish the exposure of our lives to the light of God's holiness is taken away, it says in verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And in the very next verse, he's going to talk about the fact that this is what real liberty is. We read a verse like verse 17. Now the, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we insert in that word liberty all of our social economic, social political ideas, the ideologues of, of America into that word liberty that don't belong there. That I can do whatever I want, things like that. No, what it means is that you are free from the confines of this darkness and now you can walk out there in daylight and instead of, of putting your arms out to try to see where the where the walls are, where the obstructions are, where the stumbling blocks are, where the uh, steps are, um, where the seats are, where the furniture is. Instead of groping around, you are free from all of that because you're now walking in the daylight of the righteousness of Christ and these things are all plainly evident to you and you can navigate your way through life so easily. And I am confounded by Christians coming forward and stating as if there's nothing wrong with it, saying, I don't know what God's will is, as if that's somehow my problem. 
And I've come to the point in my ministry, I used to take that question very seriously, and I used to oh, you, oh, let me help you learn what the will of God is. But I've come to the point in my ministry now where when people confront me with that idea, I don't know what God's will is. I, I look at them and say, are you a child of the night? Really? Are you groping in darkness? Is the only thing you can determine between what's right and wrong, what is good, better, and best, is the law? Well, I didn't kill anybody. Well, hooray for you. Big deal. A lot of people in the world haven't killed anybody. I haven't done that, and I haven't done that. Are we so much in the dark that that's our guide? No, we are children of light, and navigating through life is a simple thing. Why? Because we are not walking around with a visor on. The visor's lifted up, we're in the brightness of daylight, and everything is plainly evident. Now, sometimes we can misstep even in the daylight and and miss something because we weren't paying close enough attention, but the idea that we have no clue of where we should be going and what we should be doing? How dare we call ourselves Christians and grope around like that and think that there's nothing wrong with that? Oh, we just need a better book written on the will of God. Well, no better book has been written. This is it. Why are we groping around? I must conclude it's because our hearts are veiled. And like Israel in the days of Jesus, Israel in the days of Paul, Israel in our day, maybe for most of the church, we're really in darkness and deceiving ourselves because our eyes have grown so accustomed to the dark that we think that that's normal. And we don't even know that our minds are blinded, our hearts are veiled, and the Spirit of the Lord is not there. That we are really bound. We are slaves of the darkness. And Paul here makes it very clear that if we are true children of God, the law isn't our guiding light. It isn't. Christ is. And it's a brilliant light of his righteousness that he has put in us and that should bring forth the capacity to be able to walk as children of light, not groping around, looking, feeling for the perimeter, feeling for the obstructions of life, feeling for the, the, the elevation changes, feeling for uh, others that might be in my way. No, none of those things are invisible to me. They're plainly evident. This is what it means to walk as children of the light is that I have the glory of God leading me to navigate through all that this world throws at me, and I am steadfast. I am immoved 
and I can walk through here and know I, shouldn't, I can't be a part of that. No, that's not anything that Christ would want me involved in. No, I will not set that wickedness before my eyes. No, I will not allow this into my heart. No, I will not permit my mind to go in that direction. No, I will not call this entertainment when it hates my God. I can navigate all the wickedness of the world because it's exposed by a sun, not a flashlight, a sun. Not stars, a sun. The righteousness of Christ illuminates our way, and when that's given to us, we look at it and say, Whoa, I am circumscribed by danger that the world doesn't even realize is there. But I do. I see it plainly, and I'm confounded. Other Christians think they can participate in certain activities and I have to ask, can't you see it? What light is guiding your way? Why are we drawn to the darkness when we have been born into the day? And why, if we have been born into the day, do we grope through life as though our eyes are shut? You get an opportunity when you get into God's Word and around the teaching of His ministry to maybe feel the warmth of that righteousness, but, but of, the, of the wonder of God's working in us, but if you don't open your eyes and let it penetrate into your heart. I don't know that I can, as Paul couldn't, and anyone else for that matter, uh, give you any assurance of being in a right relationship with God. This glory of the righteousness of Christ does not extinguish the light of the law, it surpasses it. And our lives are not less righteous because we live by grace through faith. And this idea of liberty that Paul brings out extensively in the book of Galatians um, is not a freedom to do whatever I want. It's a freedom to serve God as he wants. I'm finally free to navigate through life, avoid all of the pitfalls and dangers and, and traps and snares that are around. All the stumbling blocks are plainly there. They're laid out before me and I can see them easily and avoid them. I can take all the cautions where I need to take them and I can open it up and run freely where I know I can do so in such a manner that God is glorified in it. I can do all of that because of the light of Christ's work in my life. This is liberty. 
And Galatians calls us to that kind of liberty, a liberty that is confined not by all these rules and regulations, but liberty whose only perimeter is the love of God for others. That there are some things I even know that I am free to participate in that can be pleasing to God. And and by the way, um, many Christians' lists are way too long in that category. They put a lot of things in that category. I think this would be pleasing to God, and, and it would be okay to do this. I love that term. I don't see anything wrong with it. They never tell me it's right. Usually their statement is, what's wrong with it? When a Christian comes to me with that statement, what's wrong with it? They're telling me, I'm accustomed to the dark. But here's the confines of liberty, according to Galatians, that is love that I recognize that there are some things out there that I can participate and enjoy, but I will refuse to do so because of my genuine, godly concern and desire for the righteousness of Christ, the good news of this light to penetrate others, that I will not step over into that area, and I will not participate in that even in my private life because I am inconsiderate of others. and about what it takes to draw them to Christ. And so I don't go and participate in their sin with them, hoping to bring them to Christ. That attitude I have seen around for 25 years in young people. And I remember 20 years ago going to a youth retreat and speaking against that and having a huge negative response among the young people there. Oh no, we got to... It's okay to dress like them, talk like them, go to participate in everything they participate because we don't reach them for Christ. I got to tell you something. You don't crawl into the dark without a light to deliver anybody. You're just going to become lost as they are. You don't crawl into the pit to save someone in the pit. You get a rope and you pull them out and you stay on solid ground. And that is an excuse for sin that I've seen now for over 20 years among our young adults and young people. It's an excuse to stay in the dark. It's a veil over their hearts, over their minds, over their eyes. They've blinded themselves. They want to walk not as children of the day, but children of the night while they claim the sun as their guide. And thus we come to verse 18 with a powerful statement of what it should look like. What should it be if we are really, really children of the day? But we all. I love that part alone. But we all. Everyone who is trusting Christ, this is is not different for the clergyman or the apostle than for the layman. Uh, This is no difference the parishioner of the parish as well as the parson of the parish, there is no difference. We all ought to have this same testimony. Here we go. With unveiled face. No squinting, no putting your hand up, no blocking of this light. No, because the light uh, is emanating here. It is pervasive in our life. It has allowed the access to every part of our being. And so we have no barrier between us and this light. 
And so we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We get to see it. Not directly because we don't have Christ in front of us. We wait for that day when we will see him face to face. But today we should still be, for all of us, that same glory of Christ that we can behold uh, his image. How? You should see it right here. I should see it right there. I should see Christ in your life. In all that you do, when I am watching you or when I'm not watching you and someone else is watching you and I hear about what you're doing, I ought to hear about Christ in your life. Not darkness. The mirror of the glory of the Lord is each other. We ought to be mirroring the righteousness of Christ. This is what Moses did. He comes out of the glory and he's still reflecting off of it. They didn't see God's glory. They saw a reflection of it off of Moses like a mirror. Brethren, the place where we see the righteousness of Jesus Christ in this day, in this age, until we reach glory, is each other's lives. We should be beholding it. Each one of us. Oh, I can see Christ. I can see Christ there. I can see Christ there in that one. And I'm not afraid to look at it. I'm not afraid. We're unveiled. We want those to see it. And then the result of seeing it, to beholding it, and not being afraid, not being veiled, no barrier between us and that mirror of the glory of the Lord, that when I see that glory, I want to be transformed into the same glory, the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the same Spirit of the Lord. And thus the Spirit moves in us, and instead of bracing against it, instead of trying to block it or squint it out, I am fully open, eyes wide open, heart open. Oh, Spirit, leave me. I see someone reflecting the glory of your righteousness. I want to follow that example. I want to be transformed into that. I want that to be my testimony. I want that spirit to be my spirit. I want that attitude to be my attitude. I want that speech to be my speech. Lord, I want the image of Christ seen in me as I see it in some others. And perhaps one of the most difficult things today is that we don't see the image of Christ very much. Where is it? I mean, if there's any room in all of Albuquerque this morning where it should be plainly seen, it's this one. But instead, we recoil. Instead of being willing to be transformed from glory to glory to the image of Christ, we recoil We take steps back into the cave from its opening and say, oh, not too much. I don't want to get too radical. Don't want too much light in my life. Don't want to be too weird. I can't reach anyone for Christ if I am that different, if I'm that bright. Oh, that we would be willing to behold the glory of the Lord 
to unveil our face, to be transformed into that same image of Christ. That when people see me, they see Christ, the glory of his righteousness that has been imputed to us judiciously, but needs to be transforming us actively by our own will. And we have an agent offered to us to aid us in this, and this is the Spirit of the Lord. This is not just you determining to make it happen, but you lifting the veil of your heart called unbelief, the love of the world, and allowing the Spirit to work. And every one of us has room for this work to be done in our hearts and our lives. The challenge of this wonderful light is that, oh, you are free to navigate The perils of this world are plainly evident. And we can avoid them by shedding the light of Christ on it. How would Jesus have responded to this? Would Jesus be involved in this? Would I take Jesus to this? Would I bring him along? How Clearly, God's word calls us. If we put our, set our minds on things above, the things of this earth grow strangely dim, the psalm says. This is that that we seek to penetrate our community with. We penetrate them with the light of the law, but they realize that that isn't what we are. We're not a bunch of rules. We're way above rules. <laughs> We're in the sun. And we bask in the glory and warmth and and liberty that that sun gives us. That righteousness, bright as the sun, that we are easily guided by with unveiled face. But these are our choices, whether to be unveiled in our face towards the glory of God, whether to behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord, whether to allow ourselves to be transformed in that same image, whether we will or will not, whether we will resist or respond to the Holy Spirit. These are our choices. Verse 18 lists off a series of what are you going to do about it. Because what you should be doing about it is unveiling our faces, that the glory can be seen, that we are transparent to one another, that our lives simply reflect the glory of the Lord, that others can see it, and we are thus among the children of light, transformed to be more like Christ each day, each week, not by our own power, but by the power of the Spirit, who waits humbly and patiently for us to say, do your work. Be in charge. I submit. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And Lord, you have granted us such an offer to come out of a dark hole into your glorious light. We thank you 
that lesser light that led the way through the catacombs of sin toward that, the door, the way, the truth, the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, how we marvel at the glory that has been granted us by his marvelous work. We can't cease to give praise for that. But Lord, we recognize that we too often want to turn back and cower back into that dark place that we were drawn from. And for this we beg for your forgiveness. We lay ourselves open before you and ask us, ask for, ask you that you might work in us your work, that we might truly be children of light. It might be evident to one another in this room, among your church, that we have opportunity to see a reflection of your righteousness and let it transform our lives, that we might follow one another's examples to being more like your son and his righteousness. This might be the sharpening that goes on within your body. Lord, we still want to be committed to reaching the world with the law, to draw them to the gospel, to bring them into the light of your righteousness. Lord, our ministry, one to another, help us to see that transformation occurring. You've promised by your helper to give us this kind of liberty. Lord, help us to walk in it. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.